you are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. So uh, as we're looking through servant leadership, tonight we're going to talk about leading through conflicts. Uh, which is a real easy um, topic to talk because none of us have ever tried to lead through conflicts, right? Before, okay, there's always going to be conflict that happens, and here's the reason why I know it because people are involved, and that makes things always a little bit challenging. Um, so I got a picture a little while ago from somebody that's on our Boston trip. Uh, my two boys, Obi and Eli, are on the Boston trip. This is their first mission trip that they have gone on without dad for a, a period of time. So uh, let's see. Friday morning, they were supposed to meet here at the church at about 3.45 in the morning at a.m. so that they could get on the bus, go to Charlotte, get the flight there. Uh, so we got going, and I remember waking them up, and Eli going, are you serious? When I wake him up, he's like, I said, what? He goes, I feel like I just turned the lights off. I'm like, yeah, it's time to get up. So uh, we get these guys here. They drive to Charlotte, and they get on the plane, and they sit there for two hours and 45 minutes of a delay. On the plane, though, not on outside, you know, on the plane, computer was busted, and they were replacing a computer. So your first kind of long-term experience, two hours and 45 minutes on the plane, waiting to be taken off. They finally do. They get there. Then they're having a long time trying to get all the rental vehicles that they need to. At about 3 o'clock, he calls me. We only had a bar and a drink from QT that morning at 3.30. And at about 3 o'clock that afternoon, he has not had lunch. And Eli calls me, and he's giggling and talking about how long it's been of a day and how he hasn't eaten. I said, you sound delusional because you should see Obi right now. <laughs> so like I said, okay. So they are literally hitting the wall, right? Physically or whatever. And uh, they said, and they said uh, we're, we're supposed to go into a mall. They have a Chick-fil-A there. I'm going to eat like three different or, or meals or something. And uh, I said, yeah. And, they, and I said, well, welcome to missions, right? Okay. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you don't really ever go on some type of call by God and it just goes easy, right? It just, I mean, it, it, you would think, Lord, I'm willing to go and just everything, somebody rolls out the red carpet and everything goes smooth and everything is wonderful. But as much as God calls us to something, you also have to realize there is an enemy trying to slow you down, right? I mean, you, you start moving and doing what God's called you. And all honestly, there can be a panic from the enemy going, uh-oh, what if this individual truly starts living according to what Christ has called them to do and empowered them to do? And that's why I think it's one of the most eye-opening experiences for a lot of people in this church when they just start to follow Jesus, that for the first time in their life, they're kind of feeling like a big pushback from the devil himself and going, why am I just now getting this? Because the first time in your life, you're starting to be a threat. Never been a threat to him before. And now it's like, man, why in the world is it so hard for me to get up and read the Bible? I've, never, I've only started to want to read the Bible. It should be easy now. The enemy's trying to slow you down. Trying to make some changes. Why are we in so much relationship dysfunction right now? The enemy trying to slow you down. Do you know the enemy knows where you're weak and likes just to go at it, right? Uh, there are certain things that cause you to be frustrated or slow down, and there's conflicts that happens. So as we look tonight, if you got your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. So you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in a minute. But I want you to think about what does it mean to lead through conflicts because leaders will experience no shortage of conflicts when they try to make a difference. I think we could all agree with that, right? Um, it's not a matter of if crises will come, but how we will respond when we encounter them. Uh, you think about all the different quotes from all the coaches and all the mentors and all the pastors and all the leaders that talks about attitude as what? Uh, 
10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it, right? Um, a lot of times it's not what's thrown at, at you. It, it's how do you respond when we encounter them? Because as one pastor I know used to say, every single person that's sitting in this room, either in a storm, just got out of a storm, or about to go in one, right? That's just the way life is. And so it's no shortage of conflicts. You try to make a difference, you're going to have pushback. Crazy thing is, yes, you'll have it from the enemy, but also you'll have pushback from within yourself sometimes, won't you? Fear might start slowing you down, insecurities. You might even get to a place in your life where I know if you've never seen this, this will happen. Sometimes even religious people, church people, people that should be in your corner are actually saying, slow down, don't do this, right, okay? And you're thinking, man, I thought I was going to be getting encouragement from this, and actually not. So, so with this, how we respond, question there just for us to consider, who is a leader, personal connection or public leader, that's inspired you to keep going despite the challenging circumstances? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody before you that you knew they were going through something and they just suffered so well it inspired you? You almost thought like, what do I have to complain about here? Like the way this person is going, there is almost a sense of, um, I have seen people worship when they really had no, I would say no business worshiping from a worldly perspective because life was falling apart and they worshiped anyway. That's inspiring to me, right? It, it motivates me. Uh, I have seen people that have worked through all kinds of physical disabilities and pain and sickness and just continue to follow Christ, and it's inspiring to me. I think through those different leaders that along the way, despite the challenging circumstances, have said, I know what God has called me to do, and I know who I need to be, and I'm going to continue to go forward. And, and this is the situation, if you think through examples uh, throughout all the pages of Scripture, but think about Joseph, not uh, Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, not Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Remember, Joseph was um, uh, beaten by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, uh, goes and is accused wrongfully by this crazy woman, right? Goes to jail, forgotten about in jail, and all along the way, there's this repeating phrase over and over. It says, but God was with him. But God was with him. But God was with him. And I want to go, well, if God was with him, why is he in prison? If God's with him, why is he in the pit? If God's with him, why is he at the judge? Like, why? why? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And here's the only reason why Joseph made it. Not because he was somehow absent from conflict, because God never left him. Reality is this, we're, we're never going to be away from conflicts. I mean, think about it this way. Um, you remember Jesus, some of the first disciples he ever called, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were in a family business. What was the business they were in? They were fishing, right? So these boys lived on the water, uh, and Jesus did his, most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And all the time, they're hopscotching all over the place around the Sea of Galilee. And I imagine there's sometimes, Jesus, where are we going today? We go on to the other side. You want us to rent a boat? Because I can drive this thing right across here. We could save a, a lot of steps. No, nah, we'll go this way. Which walk? <laughs> You sure you don't want to take a boat today? Now nah, we'll walk. Now nah, we'll walk. Now nah, we'll walk. And then one day Jesus goes, hey, boys, why don't we ride the boat across? The Thankfully, finally, we don't have to walk through the night. We can get on a boat. Oh, this is my area. I'm so excited that we get to ride in the boat tonight, right? And they get in there, they get excited, and it is the biggest storm of their life. Now, I don't know everybody's theology in this room. Um, you may not be okay with, does Jesus call certain storms? 
But I think all of us would have to say, if Jesus is the Son of God, we at least have to admit he saw that storm coming, right? Better than the best meteorologists out there. And Jesus picked that night to get in a boat. None of the other nights before. Nope, 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 nope. How about we go boating tonight, boys? <gasps> yeah, this is awesome. Why do you want to go? I don't know. It's going to be a good night, right? Okay. And they get in that boat. And these guys who lived on the water think they're going to die. It's that bad. It's not like, oh, it's a little rain. It's like last week at the fireworks spectacular, right? Okay. Like it is like, oh, we're all going to die. That's another story for another day. We might get there in a minute. But here is this moment, right? It is so crazy and yet, would Jesus sovereignly place them in a storm of which they could not control so they had to see his power displayed mightily? Of all the nights, go on the boat. That was the night. Let's go. Let's go on the boat. And this is the picture I want you to think of. This hit me reading it one, one, one time before, but if Peter, Andrew, James, and John had been called to be fishers of men and they said, no, nah, we'll just be fishers of fish, right? We're not going to go on the boat. We're not going to follow you. We're just going to stay in the family fishing business. Get this picture with you. That night that that storm hit, they probably wouldn't have been a boat just like that on that same water. The only difference was they wouldn't have had Jesus in the boat with them. See, storms are going to happen, right? But the difference is, is Jesus with you in the midst of those storms? Is he near us when the storms hit and when life is chaotic? You look throughout all of it, and there's all these people who can inspire us when they go through these challenging circumstances. Here, here's the problem, if you will. There's, there's really three, uh, I would say, groups of people, if you will, that can cause a little conflict for us if we're trying to lead through conflicts. The first one is personal, okay? You will experience varied challenges throughout your life that will make you want to quit. You ever been there before? Just wanting to quit, Okay. Uh, that sometimes the challenges rise up so much that you just feel like throwing in the towel. Uh, some of you probably even been in a place, maybe you're there right now, you know God has called you to do this, make it to this finish line, go to this process, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it comes this thought, I'm thinking about quitting. Why? I just don't know if the fight's worth it. It's too hard, it's too difficult. And you look at the moment, and it is challenging, but then you have to start thinking, but is the conflict not worth it? And is the other side even worse if I don't push through? You follow? Like sometimes the immediate is, I just want to run. Okay, you can run now. But what does that mean later? And so a lot of times we experience these very challenges throughout your life. It makes you want to quit. Sometimes it can be health, right? Sometimes it can be relationships. Um, some of y'all ever just been down in the dumps and you don't even know why? You just wake up and you just feel off. Um, I, I, you know, just sometimes, sometimes people just, I, this is one of the things that uh, I laugh about, but there are some people, I'm not a big crier, okay? If I cry, it's, it's I don't know, there's something caught in my eye, maybe like fireworks strand or something. But um, there are some people, I've heard people say, sometimes I just need a good cry. I've never felt that way in life, but I hear it's probably good for you. I wish I could, okay? Like I hear medically it's actually good for you. But sometimes people go, I just feel like I need a cry today, okay? Like, why is that? Why do you some days wake up and you're ready just to go at it? Some days you just feel like, I don't have it in me, right? I don't know. But I know this, that emotions are a very dangerous thing to be led by, right? Calls in all kinds of ways, personal stuff can, can make you want to quit. The other problem that you can have is what I call insiders. These are God's people. People on the inside of the church, if you will, right? Think about it this way. 
God's people can be experts on creating conflict by majoring in the minors, right? God's people, um, unfortunately, can be experts on creating conflict by what I call majoring in the minors. Do y'all know what majoring in the minors means? Yeah, majoring in the minors means this. Let's split a church over the color of the carpet, right? Okay, like majoring in the minors is let's get upset about something so small when this big stuff is happening. Like this is the good stuff, right? Um, and a lot of times, God's people, we are experts on just causing just drama, okay? Like sometimes it can happen. Uh, in fact, uh, you just think about, we're reading through the book of Exodus and how many times God's people get together and they just all get all like, you know, really stirring everybody up and getting all this panic, um, sometimes we can really be good at that. I was on a mission trip years ago. I'm in the back of a Toyota uh, SUV in the middle of a country named Niger in uh, Africa. Some people would say it's the, um, the uh, poorest country in the world. They put me in the back of the Toyota SUV that had no air, even if it did, what's the point of it? We're driving down dirt roads for 14 hours to get from the airport to the village we're trying to they put me in the back of the SUV because we had six people that needed to ride in that. And four of us had to be in the back seat. And since I was the biggest, people were going to have to sit some way later on top of me. Okay, So I'm at the back. Somebody's here. Somebody's there. Somebody else is stuck there. Somebody's feeding us. Uh, what we had to eat was tuna fish out of a can. And we're scraping it on crackers, like pouring at each other's kind of stuff. 14, dust coming in the window. You're just eating dust and tuna fish. That's all, you know, traveling. And at some point, like I'm talking to the missionary who's in the front, and he asked me this question as we are riding through that Toyota. We are eating dust, eating tuna fish. We're having to navigate the plane because there's this terrorist group called Boko Haram that was in the area and trying to slow down any Christian witness. He's talking about how many near, uh, death experiences he's had with this group. And then he looks at me as a pastor that lives in South Carolina and says, tell me what's the most difficult thing about pastoring in the States. And I felt like, I can't say anything to this guy. We're on the run from Boca Haran eating tuna fish. You know what I'm saying? Like, what can I say to this guy? No, 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 Steve. I mean, everybody's life is hard. What, what's the most challenging thing about being a pastor in South Carolina? And I said, this is probably, let's see, this was the year 2012. I remember it. Um, I said, probably the most difficult thing of being a pastor is giving your life to try to help people and they can get so tore up about the most trivial, insignificant things. It just makes no sense. I, um, I, I don't know if any of you ever read or maybe you've watched The Lord of the Rings. I'll finish and read some of those books. And there's a funny story at the end that the two main characters come back home after they literally have saved the world. And their people in their little town don't even know they've done it. And when they get there, like, where have y'all been? And they're like, oh, I just kind of been on a journey. They literally saved the whole world from this, you know, whatever. And they go, well, you know, somebody messed up my crop since the day that you guys left. And I'm really mad at you. And I want to go, that's ministry. Okay, like you feel like you are literally trying to save the world and do all these wonderful things. And sometimes, folks, we just get caught up on the silly, the trivial, the, the minors. And it can cause a lot of conflict and make you want to quit. The other group that can hurt us is what's called the outsiders. If you're not aware of this, the more defiant our culture becomes, the more hostile they become toward Christians. That is happening. So you got trouble on the inside, trouble on the outside, trouble on just your own emotional self. You got it coming from every spot. Um, you know, the outsiders, my missionary friend, when a terrorist group is trying to slow you down, that's one thing. 
Now we've got a culture that's weaponized towards anything that looks like biblical Christianity. It used to be years ago that we may have been accepted from a standard. People didn't follow Christian values, but at least it was accepted. Now we're not the hope or the help. We're the problem. If you're going to follow Jesus and follow the Bible, you're actually part of the problem now. And this is what's shocking. And so the problem is we're getting personal pushback. We've got insiders against us. We've got outsiders against us. And the culture is getting more and more hostile. Tom Peters' quote here says, it is easier to kill an organization than it is to change it. You want to talk about leading through conflict? It's just easier just to give up, to quit, to just stop altogether than it is to actually move and lead in despite of when there is change. So let's look at this example. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church his letter to them here, and we're going to start chapter 11 and look at a few different verses here to explain what Paul's life was like as he tried to lead through conflict. So chapter 11, verse 12, he says, there's, there's a bunch of false uh, teachers that are in the church at this point. And he says, but I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny an opportunity for those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. Isn't that something? He says, there are people that appear like they are doing religious work. They're actually doing work of the enemy. There are people who will stand up and say they're speaking on behalf of Jesus, but they actually got a different master that they're following. And if you're not aware, there are people, churches, Christianity as a whole, people that have got a million followings on their YouTube or their subscribe or buying their books. They can be in your gospel room class, right? There can be people deceiving. It sounds spiritual, but it's, it's off. And, and, and so here's the thing. Satan in this category motivates people to create conflict to slow kingdom work. Will Satan actually motivate people to create conflict to slow kingdom work? Most of you know that we started something called the Recommission Network a few years ago. Where we we're trying to help plant or replant or revitalize churches in this area. Can I tell you, for every church that we are helping, Somewhere along the way, there has been an argument in that church over something that is inconsequential, that became a minor thing, became the main thing, and it split the church. Every single one. Um, so focused on, we want to reach people, but this thing gets in the way. And here, he goes, look, there's going to be some people who they disguise themselves as people who were sent by Jesus but Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears like he's on the good side. But we know the difference. He actually isn't here for us, and he's trying to actually create conflict to slow kingdom work. Sometimes I almost like clockwork. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but you almost can anticipate his move when good stuff's happening, right? Um, my wife and I always joke that if we come into a surprising uh, extra amount of money. Let's just say somebody said, looks at our family and says, we just felt like you need to, we, we just want to do something for you. We gave $100. I go, something's going to break in our house this week. It's going to cost $100. That's the way it always happens in our life, right? Okay. Like if something comes to us unexpected, it's like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? You almost like can feel like it is coming. In the same way, sometimes when good stuff's happening in your life, you can almost say Satan is going, let me see what I can stir up. 
Let me see what I can cause conflict. Uh, I have a pastor who says that uh, he was taking a group from his church on a trip, and it was wonderful till they got about 20 minutes outside of town. And when they started driving to the church, they just started complaining. And it's just like, what in the world? And it's just like, it just comes on. And all the good and all the wonderful things that have happened, it just starts slowing down and slowing that kingdom work. So then go down a few verses there to verse uh, 23. He's talking about these people. He says, well, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. Far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. How would you like that to be on your resume? <laughs> okay. Here's what he says, verse 24. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Let me stop because that's confusing. So five times he received 40 lashes minus one. You go, that's 39 lashes. Why does he say 39 lashes? Because in that day and time, that type of um, uh, punishment, they thought that 40 lashes would kill a man, so they would beat you to the point of death and then let you live. That happened to him five times. Now, I don't know what your week has been like. <laughs> okay. But I, don't, I can't say that's happened to me this week, right? Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil, hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for what? Churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? Do I not burn with indignation? Here, this is crazy. Okay, stop here for a second. The Apostle Paul just gave us about 53 things of why he ought to have quit by this point, right? I'm not at the point of five times 30 or 40 lashes minus one. I'm like, after the first one, I'm done. Okay, like, I don't need a repeat. I, I, I don't need to go through that again. Being out on the open sea without food, without clothing, you know, trouble from the inside of his own people, trouble from the Gentiles, the outside. This is unbelievable. And then he goes, on top of that, I'm worried about all the people in the church. Believers who say one thing and live a different way. It's overwhelming the anxiety that he felt. I'm going, Paul, you can't say you're anxious. He's going, I am. I am overwhelmed about what happens to people. And sometimes this is the thing... I, I know that everybody in this room, you've had this experience, and I don't want to just say, well, just pastors who this this way. Have you ever been so burdened that somebody you care about wasn't going to make it? I mean, burdened. Like, you're just going, oh, they're just, on, they're just on the brink. Like, they're either going to make it or they're not, and it just can overwhelm you. And Paul goes, that right there, that's worse than the lashes, than the rods, and the shipwreck. I'll take that any day. I'm overwhelmed by my anxiety for people in the church. Are they going to make it or not? See, Christian leaders should not be surprised when trials greatly opposed them. Trials greatly opposed Paul. They slowed him down. They were literally making him more anxious and giving him plenty of ample reasons of why to quit. And he had the opportunity numerous times just to give up. And so as he continued to live his life, it was an opportunity for him to always, the, the conflict, the, the heat turned up, if you will, Making him want to quit along the way. This is, um, when you think about anybody, when the, the trials ramp up and the desire to quit increases, 
how often it is that we just go, well, if the circumstances would just be removed, I'll be okay. But in reality, I've seen people that have dealt with harder circumstances than others, and they go through it. And some people have the smallest of things, and they just kind of tap out. See, don't be surprised when trials greatly oppose you when, when they continue to move on. Look at verse 30 for a moment. He says, if boasting is necessary, I'm going to boast about my what? My weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul was in such great persecution, they put him in a laundry basket, lowered him over a wall so he could get out from point A to point B. And he goes, if I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to brag about what? His weaknesses. And that's not the American way. That's not how leaders are built. But the only bragging Paul wanted to do was to share how well he struggled. If I'm going to brag about anything, it is this. I have had a hard time, and life is challenging, but I'm still here. You are the greatest testimony some of us have. We're still standing. Should have been gone a long time ago, right? Numerous opportunities for us to be taken out, and yet we're still here. And it is this wonderful reminder every single day that we say, we're still here. God has kept us for this. And so um, a lot of times people are somewhat shameful of their testimonies, and you shouldn't be shameful of your testimony. Because this is a reminder of what God has brought you through. And what I have never experienced in my life, do you know that maybe your testimony might be the encouragement that somebody else may need? You ever been there and somebody just saying something, you're like, you going through exactly what I'm going through right now. And they make it out and he encourages you to make it out. This is what a lot of times God has allowed it. So, so Paul is saying, I'm going to brag how weak I am. I'm anxious. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. People are wearing me out. And I'm still going. And it gives the people the motivation they need. So chapter 12 happens. And he starts talking about other things, this, this vision that this guy has. He's talking kind of the third person. He's talking about himself. And it's this crazy situation, right? He says that he, he has this vision of God where he feels like he has literally experienced God in, in a unique way. But in verse 6, he says it like this. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. So have you ever heard somebody like, oh, so-and-so's a thorn in my flesh? Okay, right, okay. This job is the thorn in my flesh. But well, this is the passage that this comes from. Um, many people don't know, uh, they, they read this and, and think a lot of different things about uh, what Paul was dealing with here. Um, Paul doesn't say what his thorn in the flesh was. Some people think it was a physical uh, situation. Some people think that it was his eyesight. And here's the reason why. Um, there is a place where one time Paul is talking to his um, opponents and he says, see what letters I'm writing with my own hand. 
that it's maybe like his eyesight was failing and people thought, oh, you can't even see, you can't do your job. He's like, well, I'm writing with my own hand. Okay? Like, you know, it's like saying like, some people think it was that. Some people think it was some other kind of physical sickness. Some people think Paul was single. Was he longing to be married? Was he depressed? Was he struggling with anxiety, some kind of mental disorder? All kinds of things that it could have been. And Paul doesn't say, and here's the beauty of why Paul doesn't say it, so that all of us can come to this table and consider ourselves in the same situation as him. If Paul would have said, my thorn in the flesh was I had chronic headaches, then all the people with chronic headaches will say, me too, and all the rest will go, well, I don't have one. He doesn't say what it is. So have any of you ever had anything that felt like a thorn in your side that would not go away? Raise your hand if you've ever had something like that. Anybody say, it was you. No, okay, no, no, don't do that, okay? Like, but there have been people in our lives, there have been physical situations in our lives, there have been feelings that came out of nowhere. You ever prayed to God for him to remove something from you? And it didn't happen? I have. I mean, we see through this passage that God uses thorns in the flesh to keep his leaders humble and dependent. Now, I would rather God make me humble and dependent by sending me to a 12-week Bible study called Humble and Dependent. Okay? But sometimes we learn through experience better than we do curriculum, right? And so um, I never saw a need to read the Bible until I became desperate for answers. I never learned how to pray until I was desperate to bear my burdens before the Lord and for him to step up. I never sought biblical counsel until I had made some really dumb decisions. And so God is doing something with Paul. Now, the crazy thing here is it says so that he would not exalt himself over these great things that happened. You know why? Because sometimes great things happen. You are just waiting for pride goes before the what? Before the fall, right? Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that. Um, I tell often... Uh, Guys that are wanting to go into the ministry, uh, a lot of people's pattern is that uh, if pastors are going to take the day off, a lot of them will take Mondays off. I don't, for me personally, think Mondays are too precious to get staff together, start following up on people, what we got to do for the week. Um, but a lot of times, um, a lot of pastors take Mondays off because they go on this spiritual high on Sunday and they just plummet. And they're just like, man, not as many people showed up, nobody responded to the altar call, you know, people didn't give, and they just hit this low spot. And um, a lot of times, some of the most dangerous places for any of us emotionally is when we've just hit a good success. Why? Hey, man, I'm in a good place. And God goes, whoa, Paul, I know you just saw a great revelation. You're thinking pretty good about yourself, but I'm going to give you something else. It's called thorn. And it's not going to be comfortable. And he's like, why? So you don't exalt yourself. Why don't you just tell me not to exalt myself? I'll memorize a verse. Don't exalt yourself. Give me a T-shirt. Don't exalt yourself. No, I'm going to give you thorn. I'm going to keep you humble. I'm going to keep you dependent. It was a messenger of Satan. This is, this is spiritual warfare, right? This is going on. And so I pleaded with the Lord three times that would leave me. The guy who wrote in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be. The guy who taught us how to pray in a lot of ways in the New Testament says, I prayed three times and God says no. If Paul's praying for the thorn to be removed three times and God doesn't do it, I, my mind goes, I don't have a chance. <laughs> okay, like God's not going to listen to anything that I have to say. Paul's saying, please, God, 
This thorn is slowing me down. God says, I'm not taking it out. God, I'm asking a second time. I feel like this thorn is not only hurting me, but it's consuming my thoughts, and I feel like I'm slowing down. Will you remove it? No, son. It's necessary for you right now. God, I'm asking a third time, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, however you want to do this, third time, please remove this thorn. I'll be more effective for you if you'll free me from it. And God says, actually, you won't. You'll be more useful for me if you stay dependent on me. The thorn stain. Now, this is not Christianity 101. I get this. This is, we're going a little deeper into this tonight. Would God know us so well that he might deem necessary that he allows conflict in our lives so that we stay more dependent on him? It's hard for me to envision. Because I just want to say, God, I promise if you remove it, I'll be good. And he goes, yeah, that's what you said last time. I just think we might need to keep a little bit more here. Think about every time I try to teach one of my kids to swim. For the weirdest reason, at I could be in a pool that was a three-foot to five-foot pool. And even in that situation, there's a shallow end, there's a deep end, right? I'm 6'4". I've been 6'4 since my kids were born. I'm still 6'4 unless I started shrinking last year. But I am 6'4 at this point. And in a three-foot pool or in a five-foot pool, guess what? I'm above water. So I can take that kid and they hold on to me. And then I start walking to the deep end. They go, don't go to the deep end, Daddy. It's fine. It ain't a deep end for Daddy. And guess what happens the closer that I get to the deep end? They start choking me. Okay, like that. Those hands around the neck, they start just tightening in and they're holding in closer. And why? Because in their mind, it's more dangerous down there than what it is down there. But they're drawing closer to their father the more the conflict increases. The more the danger ups, the closer that they get. And I just have to wonder in some of our stories, did we keep God at arm's length until we were scared to death and we ran to our father? And is it not in our own best interest if God says, hey, I'm going to let a couple thorns come your way because you're going to have to come to me. Because um, I've lived enough of my life trying to do things on my own strength and I ain't got anywhere good. And God is maybe inviting some of us tonight to say, why don't you try it a little different? Why don't instead of depending on you, depend on me? So I'm going to put some stuff in your life that's going to make you pray more, read more, get counsel more. And so he says, I prayed three times. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. In verse 9, this is what God's response in prayer was. Ready? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast and all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? I'm strong. This is countercultural to everything we've ever learned. But the power of Christ rests on those who express dependence on him through the conflicts. Strong people aren't those who avoid conflict. Strong people are those who endure them as they walk with Christ. And Christ says to him, no, I'm not going to remove the conflict from you, but here's what's sufficient for you, my grace. I know that if you grew up in church, um, probably all of us have sang Amazing Grace too much 
that we lose the power of it. Right? I mean, <clears throat> amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch like me. Do you know the original language said amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a worm like me? That was the original language. You go, that sounds gross. <laughs> it's, it's accurate though, right? Okay, like, let's say the worm like me. I'm nothing but playing in the dirt, making, I got no sense, I got nothing going on, and God saved me from the dirt. That's grace. And he says, hey, I know you want the thorn out, but is grace not sufficient for you? Is the fact that you were unlovable and I loved you anyway, is that not sufficient for you? Is it not that your sins caused you to be separated from me and that I brought you back into a relationship? Is it not that you have followed your father, the devil, all on the way and I've adopted you into the family? Is that grace not sufficient for you? Is it not that you have sinned and rebelled and been defiant all your life, but I have said I removed your sins as far as the east is from the west, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I remember your sins no more. Is that grace not sufficient for you? See, I... If I had a choice of removing the thorns or having his grace, I'll choose grace any day. I need grace more than I need the removal of thorns. So he says, I can actually take pleasure in these weaknesses. I can take pleasure when people insult me, rightfully or wrongfully. Thank you, God. They just said something about me and my mama. Thank you, God. <laughs> take pleasure in insult? Why? Because his grace says he loves you. So no matter what they say, remember what he says. Can I take pleasure in hardships? Yeah, because I've learned to depend on him. Can I take pleasure when people persecute me? When they persecuted Jesus, they're just coming after you now because he's not on this earth. Can I take pleasure in difficulties? Yeah, for the sake of Christ. Why? Because when I'm weak, I finally figure out that I'm strong because I'm relying on him. And this is what it means to be dependent upon him through the conflict. So, so here's the adjustment for us, okay? Personal side of things, you need to discern the source of your most significant personal conflicts and align your efforts with biblical wisdom. So if we started this whole talk with the personal side of things is we're going to experience very challenges throughout our life that are going to make you want to quit. Then I want to ask you right now, what is it personally that you feel like is slowing you down? Because if you can't identify it, guarantee you don't know how to fight against it. Right? What is it? You go, well, it's this, this relationship. It's this habit. It's this situation. It's this feeling. It's this, whatever it is. What is it in your life that's creating the most significant personal conflicts? And you got to align your efforts with biblical wisdom. What does that mean? If an addiction is your problem, you can align yourself with what the world says to fight addiction. But if you don't align yourself with what God says, you don't have any chance of victory. Okay, um, if anxiety and depression is your issue and the world says, take two of these and call me in the morning and you never go to God with your problems, you're not going to fully satisfy the issue. Now, hard stop before anybody starts going too far with what I just said. I'm not saying medication is bad, but I'm saying don't try to medicate when you're not praying. There's some aspect of this that's also spiritual and if you're only going to a doctor when you're not going to the Lord, you're not going to get full healing. You might get some. Medicine can do what medicine can do. Can medicine do good things? I believe it can. Um, do I, I know a lot of pastors who think no one should ever be medicated for depression or anxiety. I'm not one of those pastors. I do think in our society, some doctors are too quick to medicate. 
Is that fair? You got an issue? Here's something. Here's something. Here's something. Here's something. Why don't we slow down? Because medication can only do what medication can do, but prayer can do what prayer can do. Being a part of the church can do what the church can do. And so sometimes I think we jump to this where they're going, I got to at least align my perspective with what God says. So is Pastor Travis saying that medicine is bad? Nope. But I'm saying this, a doctor can only do what a doctor can do, but I know a healer that can do a lot more. And the healer sometimes uses that doctor, right? Healer sometimes uses that counselor. Sometimes the healer uses your, I don't know if you've got a personal trainer. Sometimes people who are so depressed, they'll look at me and go, what do I do? I prayed, I read the Bible. I go, get outside and walk around the neighborhood. What? Be outside in God's creation. Just get out there. Just do something. Get around some people. Pull the blinds open. See some sunlight. All of that stuff's going to help, right? Like just be, but you can't do it apart from God. You're not going to do it. You might get, you might be a depressed on a zero to 100 level. You might be a 30 and that medicine might get you to a 37, but it ain't going to get you where you need to be. It might be part of it, but you've got to say, Lord, I want to align all of my things with, with your perspective, with your ways. It's so important. So what is the source of those personal conflicts? And are you aligning yourself with biblical wisdom? Now let's look at those insiders. When there's conflict that happens and you're trying to follow the Lord and insiders start causing all this kind of issue. Hey, these are the people of God. We should be on the same team. Why are we having all this conflict? Do not let conflict among other believers remain, either one of these three things, unaddressed, unchallenged, or unforgiven. This is where conflicts will cause you to let this go deeper than what it ever should. Do not let conflict, which is unavoidable, by the way. If there's people involved, there's going to be conflict. Don't let conflict among other believers remain unaddressed, unchallenged, or unforgiven. Here's what unaddressed means in conflict. Have you ever had that person in your life that you were supposed to like and they were supposed to like you, but you just wanted to avoid them like the plague? It doesn't make the relationship better, does it? So to unaddress it, all you're doing is just ignoring the person. So if you've got to be in church and you're walking like, oh, here they come, and you awkwardly have to mark moving the other way, that, that ain't helpful, okay, right? Um, is to address it. Uh, because uh, right now we're at a church that has four services. And I've been a part of another church where we have multiple services. I have known people who were married in a church and they got divorced and both want to go to church. Well, good thing we got different services. We don't have to run to each other. You know? I've known people, they used to be friends. And they're going to go, well, I'm going to start going to this service so I don't have to bump into that person. I said, okay, that's one way to handle it. Another way to handle it is, can we talk? Right? Can we just sit down and just address what's going on? No, that ain't going to work. Uh, who's going to mediate? I'll mediate. I love getting in the middle of this stuff. Let's just all sit down. Let's air it all out. And I promise by the time we leave, one of y'all is going to feel better or I'm going to get punched. Either way, we at least are making steps towards progress, right? Don't leave it unaddressed. Sometimes it's don't leave it unchallenged. Um, sinful drifting, we never drift back towards the Lord. We always drift further away. And sometimes in the church world, we go, well, that's none of my business. I don't need to get in the middle of that. Sometimes you do. Like, I'll be honest. Um, sometimes I wish people would have challenged me earlier than later, right? Because if that had caught it back here, maybe to something. But then sometimes you got in the middle. It's so deep. It's, it's hard to, to slow it down. And so leaving it unchallenged is if there's conflict, if there's heresy, if there's disunity, and you go, I'm not going to address it, not going to address it, not going to address it, not going to challenge it, not going to. At some point, you've got to say, here's what the Bible says, and, and you're out of step with this, and I'll love you, but it's got to stop. It's got to. 
And, and that's never something that people are excited about, but I'm just telling you that um, oftentimes relationships, churches, ministries get off course because no one's willing to say, I love you enough to speak the truth in love. And I challenge you on this. And then sometimes relationships get so caught up because it's just unforgiving. Um, if someone has said, I caused conflict for you, I hurt you, and I'm sorry, and you say, I forgive you, mean it. Move on from it. Don't, Scripture says in Colossians 3, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So um, I can't say to someone, I forgive you, I just don't want to be around you. You know why? Because if Jesus would use that logic, I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> Travis, I forgive you. I just don't want to be around you, okay? You show up to heaven. Don't come knocking on my door, all right? Or, um, you know what? I mean, I, I forgive you and everything, but, you know, I, I just, like, if, you're, if you're causing it, you're storing up for another day, that's not the way Christ is forgiven. So sometimes it's address it, challenge it, and then forgive it. Move on. Uh, you don't have to stay in that. And then for that last group, the outsiders, don't excuse your inability to lead due to the state of the culture. Don't give up just because this culture is going bananas. They are out of their mind. It's getting worse by the day. Uh, sometimes I read stuff and saying, are you kidding me? Sometimes I watch the news and going, uh, I, can't, I didn't think that one was coming. That was not on my bingo card for this month. But all of a sudden, here it is. And just crazier stuff's happening. And what we don't need to do right now is the church just give up. I'm not going to say anything, not going to address anything, not going to put... That's not what needs to happen. In fact, we've got to say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to lead out and speak the truth and love and, and lead forward and, and try to offer hope in this world because the world has gotten so bad. If anything, we need to step up our efforts and not step back. Um, in the midst of COVID in 2020, so many churches and different things were struggling to figure out. And I remember a meeting with our staff where I looked at everybody and said, I don't know what in the world we're going to do but I do know this, we will not retreat from serving and helping and offering hope to this city. I don't know what this looks like. We can't take a step back. We've got to somehow be more engaged. And, and I think in so many ways it causes people to want to quit. You know, if you think about a scenario of leadership in groups, if any of you are in a gospel group here at this church or in a ministry group, let me just ask you, can relational drama, even within a church group, cause issues for the entire group? Yep. Um, I often don't find people leave a church or a ministry or a group because somebody's teaching heresy. It's because somebody offended them and nobody addressed it. Right? So-and-so was mean to me. So-and-so didn't take time for me. So-and-so was blah, blah, blah. I felt I was on the outside and they walk. And that can be avoided. And so as any type of leader, and, and you don't have to have a position of a leader, by the way, to be a leader, do you? I'm going to lead out and say, hey, we need, to, we need to address this. We need to talk about this. Let, let's come to peace with this. We don't have to deal with that conflict. You cannot avoid conflict, right? But you should commit to learning through it regardless. Conflict will happen. To be human is to enjoy uh, the wonderful things of conflict. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's among the people of God. Sometimes it's outside of it. You cannot avoid it. But you can make sure to learn throughout it all. And you can make sure to continue to lean into God no matter what happens. And so, Father, tonight, as we conclude this time, um, I don't know all the conflict that's representative in this room for all the stuff that we're experiencing. Uh, I know the things that are in my world and 
and the stuff that I have to deal with. And I know that oftentimes the stuff that I feel on the inside or stuff that I feel among the people of God or sometimes the stuff that's happening out in the culture make me feel frustrated and hopeless and sometimes just want to quit. But you did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that means that sometimes even in my weakness, I'm going to push in and trust in you and ask you, God, to do what only you can do. So, Lord, would you please, I'm asking you, embolden the people here tonight that wherever you send us, don't elect conflicts to push us away from what you called us to do. Don't let the enemy win. Help us to move forward. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.